Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. The Secret Garden, a novel by Frances Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911. In the last episode, Colin claims the Secret Garden as his own, and in doing so, Colin chooses to follow in his mother's footsteps and dedicate himself to nature and happiness. He is inspired by Mary and Dickon and decides to become a scientist who devotes his life to the study of magic. We will resume our story with a gathering of Ben, Dickon, and Mary, led by Colin. It is part lecture, part ministry, part mystical rite held in the secret garden. get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Quite beautiful, Mary thought. He held his head high, as if he felt like a sort of priest, and his strange eyes 
had a wonderful look in them. The light shone on him through the tree canopy. Now we will begin, he said. Shall we sway backward and forward, Mary, as if we were dervishes? I cannot do no swaying backward and forward, said Ben Weatherstaff. I've got the rheumatics. The magic will take them away, said Colin in a high priest tone. But we won't sway until it has done it. We will only chant. I cannot do no chantin', said Ben Weatherstaff, a trifle testily. They turned me out of the church choir the only time I ever tried it. No one smiled. They were all too much in earnest. Colin's face was not even crossed by a shadow. He was thinking only of the magic. Then I will chant, he said. And he began, looking like a strange boy spirit. The sun is shining. The sun is shining. That is the magic. The flowers are growing. The roots are stirring. That is the magic. Being alive is the magic. Being strong is the magic. The magic is in me. The magic is in me. It is in me. It is in me. It's in every one of us. It's in Ben Weatherstaff's back. Magic. Magic. Come and help. He said it a great many times. Not a thousand times, but quite a goodly number. Mary listened entranced. She felt as if it were at once queer and beautiful, and she wanted him to go on and on. Ben Weatherstaff began to feel soothed into a sort of dream which was quite agreeable. The humming of the bees in the blossoms mingled with the chanting voice and drowsily melted into a doze. Dickon sat cross-legged with his rabbit asleep on his arm and a hand resting on the lamb's back. Soot had pushed away a squirrel and huddled close to him on his shoulder. The gray film dropped over his eyes. At last, Colin stopped. Now I am going to walk round the garden, he announced. Ben Weatherstaff's head had just dropped forward, and he lifted it with a jerk. You have been asleep, said Colin. Not of the sort, 
mumbled Ben. The sermon was good and all, but I'm bound to get out afore the collection. He was not quite awake yet. You're not in church, said Colin. Not me, said Ben, straightening himself. Who said I were? I heard every bit of it. You said the magic was in my back. The doctor calls it rheumatics. The Raja waved his hand. That was the wrong magic, he said. You will get better. You have my permission to go to your work. But come back tomorrow. I'd like to see thee walk round the garden, grunted Ben. It was not an unfriendly grunt, but it was a grunt. In fact, being a stubborn old party and not having entire faith in magic, he had made up his mind that if he were sent away, he would climb his ladder and look over the wall so that he might be ready to hobble back if there were any stumbling. The Raja did not object to his staying, and so the procession was formed. It really did look like a procession. Colin was at its head, with Dickon on one side and Mary on the other. Ben Weatherstaff walked behind, and the creatures trailed after them, the lamb and the fox cub keeping close to Dickon, the white rabbit hopping along or stopping to nibble and soot following with the solemnity of a person who felt himself in charge. It was a procession which moved slowly but with dignity. Every few yards it stopped to rest. Colin leaned on Dickens' arm and privately Ben Weatherstaff kept a sharp lookout but now and then Colin took his hand from its support and walked a few steps alone. His head was held up all the time, and he looked very grand. The magic is in me, he kept saying. The magic is making me strong. I can feel it. I can feel it. It seemed very certain that something was upholding and uplifting him. He sat on the seats in the alcoves, and once or twice he sat down on the grass, and several times he paused in the path and leaned on Dickon, but he would not give up until he had gone all round the garden. When he returned to the canopy tree, his cheeks were flushed, and he looked triumphant. I did it. The magic worked, he cried. That is my first scientific discovery. What will Dr. Craven say? broke out Mary. He won't say anything, Colin answered, because he will not be told. This is to be the biggest secret of all. No one is to know anything about it until I have grown so strong that I can walk and run like any other boy. 
I shall come here every day in my chair, and I shall be taken back in it. I won't have people whispering and asking questions, and I won't let my father hear about it until the experiment has quite succeeded. Then sometime, when he comes back to Misselthwaite, I shall just walk into his study and say, Here I am, I am like any other boy. I am quite well, and I shall live to be a man. It has been done by a scientific experiment. He will think he is in a dream, cried Mary. He won't believe his eyes. Colin flushed triumphantly. He had made himself believe that he was going to get well, which was really more than half the battle, if he had been aware of it. And the thought which stimulated him more than any other was this imagining what his father would look like when he saw that he had a son who had a straight back and was strong as other father's sons. One of his darkest miseries in the unhealthy, morbid past days had been his hatred of being a sickly, weak-backed boy whose father was afraid to look at him. He'll be obliged to believe them, he said. One of the things I am going to do, after the magic works and before I begin to make scientific discoveries, is to be an athlete. We shall have thee taken to boxing in a week or so, said Ben Weatherstaff. Thou'lt end with winning the belt and being champion prize fighter of all England. Colin fixed his eyes on him sternly. Weatherstaff, he said, that is disrespectful. You must not take liberties because you are in the secret. However much the magic works, I shall not be a prize fighter. I shall be a scientific discoverer. Axe pardon, axe pardon, sir, answered Ben, touching his forehead in salute. I ought to have seen it wasn't a joking matter. But his eyes twinkled, and secretly he was immensely pleased. He really did not mind being snubbed, since the snubbing meant that the lad was gaining strength and spirit. Chapter 24 Let Them Laugh The secret garden was not the only one Dickon worked in. Round the cottage on the moor, there was a piece of ground enclosed by a low wall of rough stones. Early in the morning and late in the fading twilight, and on all the days Colin and Mary did not see him, Dickon worked there, planting or tending potatoes and cabbages, turnips and carrots, and herbs for his mother. In the company of his creatures, he did wonders there and was never tired of doing them, it seemed. While he dug or weeded, he whistled or sang bits of Yorkshire moor songs or talked to soot 
or captain or the brothers and sisters he had taught to help him. We'd never get on as comfortable as we do, Mrs. Sowerby said, if it wasn't for Dickens garden. Anything'll grow for him. His taters and cabbages is twice the size of anyone else's, and they've got a flavor with them as nobody has. When she found a moment to spare, she liked to go out and talk to him. After supper, there was still a long, clear twilight to work in, and that was her quiet time. She could sit upon the low, rough wall and look on and hear stories of the day. She loved this time. There were not only vegetables in this garden. Dickon had bought penny packages of flower seeds now and then, and sown bright, sweet-scented things among gooseberry bushes and even cabbages, and he grew borders of mignonette and pinks and pansies and things whose seeds he could save year after year, or whose roots would bloom each spring and spread in time into fine clumps. The low wall was one of the prettiest things in Yorkshire, because he had tucked moorland foxglove and ferns and rock cress and hedgerow flowers into every crevice, until only here and there glimpses of the stones were to be seen. All a chap's got to do to make him thrive, mother, he would say, is to be friends with them for sure. They're just like the creatures. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. And if they're hungry, give them a bit of food. They want to live same as we do. If they died, I should feel as if I'd been a bad lad and somehow treated them heartless. It was in these twilight hours that Mrs. Sowerby heard of all that happened at Misselthwaite Manor. At first she was only told that Mr. Collin had taken a fancy to going out into the grounds with Miss Mary and that he was doing him good. But it was not long before it was agreed between the two children that Dickens' mother might come on to the secret. Somehow it was not doubted that she was safe for sure. So one beautiful still evening, Dickon told the whole story with all the thrilling details of the buried key and the robin and the gray haze which had seemed like deadness and the secret Mistress Mary had planned never to reveal the coming of Dickon and how it had been told to him, the doubt of Mr. Collin and the final drama of his introduction to the hidden domain, combined with the incident of Ben Weatherstaff's angry face peering over the wall and Mr. Collin's sudden indignant strength made Mrs. Sowerby's nice-looking face quite changed color several times. My word, she said. It was a good thing that little lass came to the moor. It's been the making of her and the saving of him. Standing on his feet and us all thinking he was a poor half-witted lad 
with not a straight bone in him. She asked a great many questions, and her blue eyes were full of deep thinking. What do they make of it at the manor? Him being so well and cheerful and never complaining, she inquired. They don't know what to make of it, answered Dickon. Every day, as comes round, his face looks different. It's filling out and doesn't look so sharp, and the waxy color is going. But he has to do a bit of complaining, with a highly entertained grin. What for, I mercy's name? asked Mrs. Sowerby. Dickon chuckled. He does it to keep them from guessing what's happened. If the doctor knew he'd found out he could stand on his feet, he'd likely write and tell Mr. Craven. Mr. Collins saving the secret to tell himself. He's going to practice his magic on his legs every day till his father comes back and then he's going to march into his room and show him as he's straight as all other lads. But him and Miss Mary thinks it's the best plan to do a bit of groaning and fretting now and then to throw folk off the scent. Mrs. Sowerby was laughing a low, comfortable laugh long before he had finished his laugh sentence. Eh, she said, that pair's enjoying themselves, I'll warrant. They'll get a good bit of acting out of it and there's nothing children likes as much as play acting. Let's hear what they do, Dickon lad. Dickon stopped weeding and sat up on his heels to tell her. His eyes were twinkling with fun. Mr. Colin is carried down to his chair every time he goes out, he explained. And he flies out at John, the footman, for not carrying him careful enough. He makes himself as helpless looking as he can and never lifts his head until we're out of sight of the house. And he grunts and frets a good bit when he's been settled into his chair. Him and Miss Mary's both got to enjoying it, and when he groans and complains, she'll say, Poor Colin, does it hurt you so much? Are you so weak as that, poor Colin? But the trouble is that sometimes they can scarce keep from bursting out laughing. When we get safe into the garden, they laugh till they've no breath left to laugh with. And they have to stuff their faces into Mr. Collins' cushions to keep the gardeners from hearing, if any of them is about. The more they laugh, the better for them said Mrs. Sowerby, still laughing herself. Good, healthy child laughing's better than pills any day of the year. That pair'll plump up for sure. They are plumping up, said Dickon. They're that hungry they don't know how to get enough to eat without making talk. Mr. Collins says if he keeps sending for more food, they won't believe he's an invalid at all. Miss Mary says... She'll let him eat her share, but he says that if she goes hungry, she'll get thin, and they mun get both fat at once. Mrs. Sowerby laughed so heartily 
at the revelation of this difficulty that she quite rocked backward and forward in her blue coat, and Dickon laughed with her. I'll tell thee what, lad, Mrs. Sowerby said when she could speak. I've thought of a way to help them. When that goes to them in the mornings, thou shalt take a pail of good new milk, and I'll bake them a crusty cottage loaf or some buns with currants in them, same as you children like. Nothing so good as fresh milk and bread. Then they could take off the edge of their hunger while they were in the garden, and the fine food they get indoors at polish off the corners. Ah, mother, said Dickon admiringly, what a wonder thou art. They're always seeing the way out of things. They was quite in a pother yesterday. They didn't see how they was to manage without ordering up more food. They felt that empty inside. They're two young'uns growing fast, and health's coming back to both of them. Children like that feels like young wolves, and food's flesh and blood to them, said Mrs. Sowerby. Then she smiled, Dickens' own curving smile. Ah, uh, but they're enjoying themselves for sure, she said. She was quite right, the comfortable, wonderful mother creature, and she had never been more so than when she said their play-acting would be their joy. Colin and Mary found it one of the most thrilling sources of entertainment. The idea of protecting themselves from suspicion had been unconsciously suggested to them first by the puzzled nurse, and then by Dr. Craven himself. Your appetite is improving very much, Master Colin, the nurse had said one day. You used to eat nothing, and so many things disagreed with you. Nothing disagrees with me now, replied Colin, and then seeing the nurse looking at him curiously, he suddenly remembered that perhaps he ought not to appear too well just yet. At least things don't so often disagree with me. It's the fresh air. Perhaps it is, said the nurse, still looking at him with a mystified expression. But I must talk to Dr. Craven about it. How she stared at you said Mary when she went away, as if she thought there must be something to find out. I won't have her finding out things, said Colin. No one must begin to find out yet. When Dr. Craven came that morning, he seemed puzzled also. He asked a number of questions. To Colin's great annoyance, you stay out in the garden a great deal, he suggested. Where do you go? Colin put on his favorite air of dignified indifference to opinion. I will not let anyone know where I go, he answered. I go to a place I like. Everyone has orders to keep out of the way. I won't be watched and stared at. You know that. 
You seem to be out all day, but I do not think it has done you harm. I do not think so. The nurse says that you eat much more than you have ever done before. Perhaps, said Colin, prompted by a sudden inspiration. Perhaps it is an unnatural appetite. I do not think so, as your food seems to agree with you, said Dr. Craven. You are gaining flesh rapidly, and your color is better. Perhaps, perhaps I am bloated and feverish, said Colin, assuming a discouraging air of gloom. People who are not going to live are often different. Dr. Craven shook his head. He was holding Colin's wrist, and he pushed up his sleeve and felt his arm. You are not feverish, he said thoughtfully, and such flesh as you have gained is healthy. If you can keep this up, my boy, we need not talk of dying. Your father will be happy to hear of this remarkable improvement. I won't have him told, Colin broke forth fiercely. It will only disappoint him if I get worse again, and I may get worse this very night. I might have a raging fever. I feel as if I might be beginning to have one now. I won't have letters written to my father. I won't. I won't. You are making me angry, and you know that is bad for me. I feel hot already. I hate being written about and being talked over as much as I hate being stared at. Hush, my boy, Dr. Craven soothed him. Nothing shall be written without your permission. You are too sensitive about things. You must not undo the good which has been done. He said no more about writing to Mr. Craven, and when he saw the nurse, he privately warned her that such a possibility must not be mentioned to the patient. The boy is extraordinarily better, he said. His advance seems almost abnormal. But of course, he is doing now of his own free will what he could not make him do before. Still, he excites himself very easily and nothing must be said to irritate him. Mary and Colin were much alarmed and talked together anxiously. From this time dated their plan of play-acting. I may be obliged to have a tantrum, said Colin regretfully. I don't want to have one, and I'm not miserable enough now to work myself into a big one. Perhaps I couldn't have one at all. That lump doesn't come in my throat now, and I keep thinking of nice things instead of horrible ones. But if they talk about writing to my father, I shall have to do something. He made up his mind to eat less, but unfortunately it was not possible to carry out this brilliant idea when he wakened each morning with an amazing appetite 
and the table near his sofa was set with a breakfast of homemade bread and fresh butter, snow-white eggs, raspberry jam, and clotted cream. Mary always breakfasted with him, and when they found themselves at the table, particularly if there were delicate slices of sizzling ham sending forth tempting odors from under a hot silver cover, they would look into each other's eyes in desperation.